a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and a very warm welcome to this special Global Thinkers Forum on the CPC and the Generation Z, brought to you by CGTN and the International Department of All China Youth Federation. My name is Wang Guan, I'm a news anchor and host here at CGTN. I want to welcome all of you to our special program. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a lot of friends joining us from around the world, here in person and online. Now, first of all, allow me to introduce our panelists. They are in Beijing here with me. Um, Mr. Xialu, Associate Professor at the School of Marxism Studies at Renmin University of China. Professor Xia is also a researcher at the university's National Academy of Development and Strategy. I also want to welcome Wang Xiuquan, also in the studio. She is a CPC member who recently spoke at a UN seminar on behalf of China. Now, when Wuhan reported the COVID-19 outbreak, she was among the volunteers who played a key role in helping bring the situation under control. Also, Wilson Barros-Diaz is a PhD student in international relations and diplomacy at the Renmin University of China. He's from Cuba. And last but not least, here in the Beijing studio, we have Yulia Tamalidi from Russia. She's studying at the School of Humanities and Social Sciences, also at Tsinghua University. Welcome to all of you, so good to see you again. Joining us online, we have Enoch Wan, Senior Manager of Online Education and International Cooperation at Tsinghua University. Originally from Hong Kong, China, Enoch is currently based in Beijing. We also have Dylan Austin Walker from the United States. He's currently a student at the University of Beijing Language and Culture at the School of International Relations. Dylan is also a member of the Communist Party of the United States. Finally, we have Mohammed Hamed from Sudan. He's the winner of the China-Africa Friendship Knowledge Contest. Now, Chukun, why don't I start with you? Okay. You are apparently uh, a young person, and yeah. also you are a member of the CPC, a Communist Party member of China. Speaking from the personal experience, what does it mean to be a CPC member? Thank you. So hi everyone, my name is Wang Xiuquan and I'm a master's student of Wuhan University. The story I'd like to share with you today is closely related to COVID-19 pandemic. So at the beginning of the pandemic, we all know that Wuhan became the main field of the battle against the pandemic. And we have um, organized a lot of online volunteer service to provide help for people and also medical staff. Uh, during the process, when I communicated with the med frontline medical staff, I noticed that many of them are tirelessly treating patients, that they cannot take care of their children at home. Therefore, I organized an vo online volunteer service team called With You, with the young party members of CPC at our university, to provide online tutoring, mental assistance, and a companionship for those children. And at last, we have more than 1,500 volunteers serving 645 children, not only in Wuhan, but also those from the medical teams who came to Wuhan to help the people to fight against the epidemic. And most of us are born after 1990, and that means we are all from Generation Z, and one quarter of us are party members of CPC, so that... Does that give you a, a sense of purpose? Yeah. Um, when you were there, you know, things were so tough over there, um, you had to really, uh, you know, it was a limited time offer. You're racing against time to save lives. 
Uh, I think, first of all, like many people in Wuhan, we feel anxious and worried about people, about lives at that time. But when I saw the news on TV, when I saw the medical staff with their masks on and to save people, to devote themselves, uh, to devote every minute of themselves to help people, I think maybe young people need to do something and we need to stand out and to show our power to help people. So we organized those uh, online volunteer services because we are, uh, some of us are uh, uh, on campus and we are also limited to go out or do something. We, ha we only can uh, do things online. So uh, we organized this big team to help people. Yeah, spring uh, 2020, those were extraordinary times, uh, so difficult, uh, yeah. so many lives were lost, unfortunately. But kudos to your work and uh, to the work of your team. So many more lives uh, were saved. Um, Yulia, let me turn to you. You're from Russia, right? Yeah. St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, we know that the Communist Party was uh, one of the longest serving uh, ruling parties in Russia until yeah. 1991 with the yeah. dissolution, the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, you know, when people in the West talk about the Russian Communist Party and the Chinese Communist Party, they tend to lump them together as if they are, uh, the global communists were a monolithic hoe. But we all know that <laughs> that's not true, right? Yeah. How do you look at the Chinese Communist Party or the CPC from a Russian perspective? Yeah, thank you for your question. Actually, uh, I believe that Russian Communist Party uh, back then in Soviet Union and the Chinese uh, government are quite similar, but they have their own differences. Uh, first of all, they have, of course, two countries have different backgrounds. Back then, Soviet Union was more of an industrial country, and China was more of an uh, agricultural one. So, of course, they have different backgrounds, and their path along the way is different. But uh, I think they both have the same foundation, Marxism, and the Chinese Marxism is more of a specialized to its country. I think uh, that's why all the Chinese students call it specialized Chinese uh, Marxism. The Soviet Union uh, government and the Chinese government, they did quite a good job, and I think China learned from a lot of mistakes. I think that's uh, really impressive. Now, um, let me turn to you online, Enoch Wang at Tsinghua University. You know, you're dealing with uh, people from around the world. You're working at the international department. Uh, I would assume that, uh, you know, your daily routine would include explaining the CPC, explaining China to our friends in the West. Uh, how did you or how would you tell them about what CPC is all about? Absolutely. I think the Internet make uh, telling story easier. Uh, it helped to democratize information. So last year in 2021, of course, it's a very important year. It's the centennial of the CPC, celebrating the 100th anniversary. I was very, very fortunate to be invited to host a mini uh, internet uh, program series called Our Home, Our Country, where I explore the relationship uh, between Hong Kong uh, and the CPC throughout the last 100 years. I uh, interview a lot of very, very important figures. Uh, but for someone who was born in Hong Kong, uh, but left my family at the age of 10 to spend a decade studying and growing up in the UK. So it was a very steep learning curve and exciting adventure that I had with the audience. Uh, I interviewed a lot of people, for example, uh, including the first chief executive of Hong Kong Special Administrative Region. I thought the interview, about, that was a fantastic one. He, he shared about how the Communist Party respected the boundary of one country, two system while providing necessary confidence to the market and his leadership team during the 1997 Asian financial crisis and attack. It was just it was just the official return and reunification. So it was a very, very 
interesting story that he, he shared. And, and also, I, I spoke with the third chief executive as well. He was the secretary general of the committee that led the public consultation process that helped to draft the Hong Kong basic law. Um, and then he showed me uh, this, right, the $100 bill uh, by the Bank of China. Wow. He had this, he had this uh, with him all the time in his wallet to kind of remind him of how incredibly magical it is for one country to have multiple financial system like currency or multiple legal system. Uh, so, so it was a lot of all this story combined um, that helped me to understand one very, very simple point um, is and often misunderstood. There were many, many stories. If I have the opportunity, I would love to share more later on as well. Yeah, yeah of you. course. Uh, we look forward to uh, chatting with you more very soon. But Dylan, um, let me go to you. You're a member of the Communist Party of the United States of America. Um, they're on so many in the United States. You know, I, I work over there for eight years. Uh, I visited, the, I think, one of the headquarters of the Communist Party of the United States. How do you look at the relevance of the CPC, the Communist Party of China, from you know, your perspective as a member of the Communist Party of the U.S.? Um, so again, thank you for you know, having the opportunity to be here and to, to ask this question. I think from my personal experience and perspective being a, a youth, kind of a youth from the United States and being a CPUSA member, for me personally, um, my involvement to be able to join the CPUSA and get involved and to understand the CPC was actually through uh, being at a young age and learning Chinese language and Chinese history and through that learning about politics and especially CPC, Chinese revolutionary history, history of the CPC. And it was through, you know, a lot of intense studying, self-studying as we don't have the environment, you know, a very objective environment in the United States to be able to learn about this kind of material. For me, it kind of served a uh, CPC in my heart and, you know, Chairman Mao have a very special place that to me kind of serve as a, you know, to compare it to is somewhat of a, a lighthouse, kind of like a guiding lighthouse that we as members of other communist parties, especially of non-socialist countries, should look towards, should study their experiences, learn from experiences, whether it's good or bad, and to be able to take this back to our own countries, back to our own party, back to our own people, to be able to tailor this and to be able to adjust it to see how it would fit for our national conditions and the, the, the historical conditions of our country and our party. And one thing that, you know, especially draw, drew me closer to especially understanding the relevance and of the CPC is that uh, we can see today, you know, socialism emerges victorious if it only holds fast to its ideology. And if it does not, it will collapse. As we've seen throughout the, the decades in the past with certain countries, we've seen this happen before. And so in, in tandem with this, we can say the most powerful weapon um, for a party, especially for a communist party, is in fact, it's one and only weapon, which is its ideology, which involved in this, we have this type of collective, uh, collectivist spirit, which is kind of foreign to Western societies, to Western culture. So we don't have this ingrained in our minds or in our culture. So uh, this is a kind of a type of a spirit and a, you know, culturally and ideologically that drew me closer uh, to the CPC, drew me closer to China and to our world movement for social communism as a whole. Right. Let me come back to our studio here in Beijing. Uh, Wilson Diaz, uh, let me turn to you. You're a PhD student in international politics uh, here in China. Uh, you would be much more comfortable speaking about politics uh, in Chinese than in English, <laughs> yeah, but that, bear with me. That's right. Um, <laughs> bear with me. My question for you is, you know, coming from Cuba, yes. um, a, a country I had the privilege of visiting in 2016, um, a country that is still governed by the communist 
party. Mm. Um, coming here to China, uh, what are the things that really impressed you? How would you compare uh, the, you know, the Cuban Communist Movement, the Communist Party, uh, versus the Communist Party of China? As coming from the last communist country who are still in the, in the world, uh, like China, Cuba, um, it's, it's, very, it's very easy to find difference when we see the, the own way that the Communist Party of China has found for rule his own country in this own situation. But this is a, it's not, it's not a very easy question when you think very deep in the political studies, you know. Normally the people ask me this question in the street, like, oh, you are coming from Cuba, so please tell me what, is, what, are, what are the differences between both systems. And technically, um, the difference is like China found the, the way to do the um, economical system different, uh, different than the Soviet Union and different than Cuba, of course. And we Cubans are also f trying to find a way but in our own situation, we have different situations. You're facing a very different uh, situation, the blockade, yes. uh, you know, the U.S. sanctions are, for 70 years. And we are very near to the United States, and we have, like, this around us, all of the countries are capitalist countries. So, of course, and China is a very big country that needs to be unified and needs to be worked in, in, in around one uh, leader and group and organization to make the, the, you know, the country working very well. So when I found this, the, 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 how to say, my perspective here in China after eight years, living here and seeing how the country is developing and what the changes have made in Beijing or in other places, I have the opportunity to visit, for example, uh, places twice. Before was very poor place and, and then developed very fast. And all of these uh, achievements are came because, they came because China is ruled by the Communist Party. If it, is, if it is not the Communist Party, we don't know which situation can be. So, Professor Xia, how do you think the CPC has defined, or rather redefined, communism? Well, this is a very good question, and we can also learn the lesson from the history of the party. So, originally, uh, the founders, or the founding fathers, let me say the founding fathers of the Communist Party of China, they did not really understand what does communism mean, or what did communism mean. And they learned this from this, the foreign kind of uh, uh, the field. They thought it was a very good thing. However, well, through the revolutionary process, through the socialist construction process, the party leadership started to realize that the communism was not a, was not a purely a dream. A communism was not a kind of a, a, a product by imagination. Com communism should be put down to the practice. And when they really kind of understand what did Marx say in his kind of manuscript in 1847 or 1848, they realized that Marxism was a kind of a, a, a orientation to a practice. That is why ever since 1949 and ever since 1978, all the generations of the party leadership focuses on the practice of communism. So communism means uh, a way of change, a way of thinking, a way of uh, seeing ourselves, a way of seeing uh, the realities, a way of understanding our difficulties, and a way, kind of a way out. Okay, Wilson and Yulia, I want to ask you this question. You know, when you read Western newspapers, uh, they often have this simplistic headline whereby it said uh, communist China is doing this, uh, communist China is, uh, you know, asserting that, you know, it conjures up the images of, you know, this very uh, vicious uh, image of, of a country, of a society. Uh, by the way, how's this uh, communist China treating you so far, Yulia? 
for me, actually, they're treating me really well because uh, at the university where I study, there are a lot of young CPCs and uh, everyone is really passionate about the country. They love their country and, you know, when I leave uh, here, I actually can feel the love and I want to love this country more. I want to uh, put my own effort to make this uh, place a better one. You've been in China for how many years? I believe for three and a half, oh, more than four years. years. Yeah, mm. I think uh, I'm really putting a lot of effort. I'm being uh, at a volunteering uh, during the Winter Olympic Games. I'm doing social practices. I'm still not a part of CPC, but maybe in future I will be one. <laughs> mm. After eight years living in China, I found that the the, commun the communism <laughs> or the Chinese idea of the politics and the society and how to uh, how supposed to be equal and good for everyone is not so simple as the newspaper says. As we read in the internet, um, there is a kind of simplicity about the big situation that the Chinese Communist Party need to go and need to, do, need to do in a very big country with a very big population. Related to the question that you asked for the T-shirt, um, I think, and I have some, some kind of theory that um, Karl Marx and Engels uh, they didn't think about how fast the information is going to rule and uh, how fast the economy is going to rule and how, how many people can grow in the world. So this is, a new info, new, this is a new point of view from the Communist Party to get the same goals in a different ways. Yeah, Professor Xia, uh, let me turn to you. you yes. know, talking about the Communist Party of China, there are so, much, there are so many misperceptions and uh, so much myths out there about what the CPC is all about. Actually, the CPC, throughout uh, different stages of its development, throughout history, it has been, in a way, uniquely its own, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, uh, actually, uh, when we talk about the history of the Communist Party of China, 100 years, yeah. uh, some people would argue that uh, at different stage, the Communist Party of China uh, just uh, follow other people's yeah, other parties you know, kind the of Soviet uh, Union pattern. But actually, it was effect. not okay. So we can actually we, we can we can simply review the party history. The different generations' leadership of the CPC did not follow, did not simply follow up other kind of parties' pattern, or did not just uh, copy their pattern. They always stick to China. China's reality, China's condition. It was Chairman Mao, it was Mao Zedong that led the Communist Party, the one, one part of the army to the Jinggang and started the Chinese experiences because only by you know, looking to the real condition, the real reality of China, that was kind of an agrarian society, can Chinese Communist Party you know, lead the revolution to a success. So that's the first stage. The second stage is in 1957. Okay, in 1957, China, the, 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 People's, uh, the People's Republic of China just finished its first five-year plan. However, just right after the, the first five-year plan, Chairman Mao was very cautious, and he delivered a very great speech. It's called the On the Ten Relationships, Lun Shi Da Guanxi, at the very high-level conferences back then. And he uh, kind of... Uh, you know, was very cautious about the foreign experiences and the China's condition, China's reality. And then we can argue that ever since 1957, China started its own socialist construction with its own characteristics. So that's the second stage. So in the third stage, it's ever since 1978, it's the reform era. So we can argue that not only in revolution, but also in socialist construction and in, social, in, in reform and the modernization construction, Chinese Communist Party or Chinese government never or, well, it was rarely copying other people's or other parties 
parties or the government pattern, it always stick to China's condition and Chinese kind of reality. So that would be the real kind of foundation to the success of the party. Focus, focus on what's relevant in China and the world. Bridge the bridge the gap between what you know and what you want to know. This is the hub. Dylan, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about CPC's foreign policy. The West has many assumptions about、mm. the innate qualities of the communist government. For example,、uh, they might think that it is a given that a communist government might be expansionary. It is a given that it could be assertive and aggressive,、um, you know, forming blocks,、uh, going against the West. But、uh, it can be argued the other way around, right? It is the Biden administration who's Really active in forming alliances,、uh, hedging against China.、Um, how do you look at the foreign policy initiated and formulated and carried out、uh, currently by the CPC of China?、Uh, so, for this question, you know how you had just mentioned,、uh, you know, kind of these misperceptions that maybe some people in the West, from the, you know, they that they hear about by watching mainstream Western media, U.S. media. At least my personal experience and what I've seen and studied. We don't see this kind of, you know, China or the CPC building these blocks between, you know,、uh, like back during the Cold War era with, you know, the socialist camp or the, the capitalist camp. We don't see this today. From Pompeo and from the former Trump administration, the the type of, you know, Cold War rhetoric they kept, you know, spouting and spewing out to really try to rally people up in the West and these Western countries and European countries. To form an alliance against China, against communism, against socialism, against the CPC, where China, regardless of this happening, it continues to show more and more the importance it attaches to building relations diplomatically between all countries, and really putting a you know emphasis on mutual respect between our countries, regardless of your political system. It's your internal affairs. It's your choice. And this, I think, the past seventy plus years, we've seen this being the the constant Chinese diplomacy. Yeah, Mohammed.、Uh, let me turn to you. How is the role of CPC being perceived in Africa,、uh, in general, and your country, Sudan, in particular, especially when it comes to its foreign policy and its intervention, its role globally? Just like a reflection of the whole country. When we mention like CPC, it's just like the core of the issue. It's、uh, it's a reflection of China as a country. The issue is a lot of people they. They have a lot of misunderstanding of CPC. They not seen it as like a dynamic of ruling the country. They seen it as kind of a mystery for them, especially for the locals, because like what is presented on social media sometimes gonna be confusing or misleading.、Uh, most of the people they're more concerned about like the economic、uh, image of China. When they see CPC, they What what it comes on their head like the the economic、uh, influence of the country, but they not seeing it as like a party. In Professor Xia,、uh, there is a stark、uh, contrast between CPC's、uh, foreign policy fifty、um, sixty years ago versus it is now. Right? If you think about the old CPC being pretty active in exporting its ideologies to Southeast Asia, Africa, and parts of Latin America,、uh, versus currently. Whereby President Xi is、uh, proposing this BRI, which is all-inclusive,、um, a community of shared future.、Uh, to most recently, the Global Development Initiative, where all countries are welcomed.、Uh, there is a difference of、uh, the foreign policy agendas of the CPC. 
Right, yes. And uh, one of the background for the, uh, the, the, the foreign policies of the CPC 50 years ago was the Cold War and was the so-called the, the bipolar system back then. Well, nowadays it's getting more and more, let's say, multipolarization or the multiple kind of uh, multivariation of the political orders. If we have different political orders, we definitely have different or variant understanding about, uh, for example, democracy, for example, the, the election, for example, the, uh, all this kind of political process. So in 1787, when the U.S. drafted its first uh, you know, draft of the Constitution, mm. and when the U.S. people or the US Constitution named its head of state, head of state as president, so how did other countries address their head of state? Or what did other people address their head of state? Other I would people. assume kings and queens? Yes, kings and queens and emperors and other kind of things. The George III, the, the, the king of the UK then, did not believe that the president system could work then. So mm. how could other people believe this kind of a US presidential system or election could work? But it worked, and it survived, and it got expanded to other kind of world. So this is the, this is the point that we should be cautious. Not a single country's success has been achieved by simply copying other countries' pattern, political kind of system or political process, or political experience. So how should the, you know, other country judge China now say, you should follow other country, where you should you know, change your political system or you should change your economic system. That's not wise and that's not you know, um, respect to the history. And with that, we're coming to the end of this Global Thinker special on the CPC and Generation Z. Thank you so much. I want to thank all of our panelists today for joining us, our dear friends, joining us here in person, uh, online, and our participants from around the world. Thank you so much for being part of today's discussion. My name is Wang Guan at CGTN. I want to thank all of you for being part of this. That will do it for this edition. Thank you so much. I'll see you again soon. Situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted, and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Buckle up for our new podcast, Why We Loved Dunhuam, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuam and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on the major podcast platforms. Why We Loved Dunhuam? You will have your answers.